0: Download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm, that's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started.
1: Welcome to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast, I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. I think... I think we may have figured out the audio issue again, where the microphone might work.
0: Yeah, I think what where this is, this is configuration fifty-two, um, and we may have finally figured it out.
1: Yeah, we'll Finger see five. though. We'll
0: see. We'll see. We have no idea. Actually, we have legitimately no clue. if This is. going
1: I hope there's one gargoyle sound. It would be a, a good throwback.
0: <laughs> I don't.
1: Those are, those are terrible. And oh man,
0: four and one though. JMU four and one. They lost a the football
1: game, Jack. Is it time to hit the panic button? Um, I haven't... O'Neill's is on Tuesdays, is that right? I think so. Have we confirmed that Signetti will be do, he's there still? or? <laughs> <laughs> oh, major panic. Major panic in Harrisonburg. Anytime you lose a football game, the first thing I think is that you should just cut bait with the entire staff, right? I mean, that's really the only logical way to embrace a loss is to just completely blow everything up.
0: I will say, though, you did kind of hit the panic button after this loss. Not in the terms of blowing it up, but your panic button was, there's no way we win a national championship. This is not a national title contender team, which I think I have some pushback on.
1: I don't know if I would. I, that was maybe heat of the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I think they're a national title contender, but like as we stand right now, I would put them like fifth to eighth in terms of where they stand in in national. So that's my, my concern is like, I thought some Jamie fans treated this like it's fine. It doesn't really matter. Like they only beat themselves. They're going to find ways to rally and they'll still have a great postseason. They'll definitely be a top four seed. I don't think they're definitely a top four seed. I'm not sure they won't trip up against like Delaware. Um, I think if Henderson doesn't play, they'll probably be okay. But, I don't know. I just I don't feel great about them winning the national championship after this because I thought there were legitimate flaws that were exposed, and I think the top five to eight of the FCS is really good. I feel like my take on this is more that there are other really good teams this year, and JMU is one of the really good teams. But if you're not playing at home the whole way, gosh, it feels really hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, looking at the FCS uh, stats perform top twenty-five, JMU fell from I believe they were second last week to eighth and then you look at the the seven teams above them it's south dakota state who's also suffered a loss um this past week to southern illinois villanova montana southern illinois north dakota state eastern washington and sam houston and i would say all of those teams are better than jmu like i think jmu is correctly put at the eighth best team and and granted i do think any of those eight teams can beat any of the other teams like villanova beat jmu and Racky missed two field goals late that would have won the game. JMU left four points on the board at the end of the first half, and we'll get into the bad clock management there. We'll get into kind of stuff that happened. Um, but, I mean, you look at that, they're, what, 10 points they leave on the board, and they lose by one. And so you can easily fall into that trap of, well, JMU beat themselves. This Villanova didn't win. JMU lost this game. But at the end of the day, Villanova outgained them on 30, 30 less plays. Villanova played a better defensive game. They shut down Cole Johnson. Daniel Smith looked like the better quarterback. Justin Covington was darn good as a running back. Villanova punched JMU in the mouth, and they got – they went into Bridgeforth and won for the first – JMU lost for the first time since family weekend back in 2018.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't ideal. I'm doing a little calculator math here. Cole Johnson averaged 4.35 yards per pass attempt. Like, this is an offense that have been absolutely airing it out and doing a lot of great th- things through the air. The running game was was kind of average. Percy was more of a workhorse this week. But as a team, they averaged 3.6 yards per carry. They weren't doing a ton there. Nobody averaged more than 4.2 yards per carry individually. Uh, Antoine Wells, four catches, 47 yards is pretty pedestrian for him. Like, they just – they didn't play that well. They got, they got beat. And I guess actually the, the way it should say is they played okay. Yeah, got beat like that's maybe more alarming and villanova
0: villanova had a fantastic defensive game plan um they locked down everyone like antoine wells he the reason he had four receptions for 47 yards is because he just wasn't open and chris thornton he had eight catches for 61 yards but his long's 22 he's mr catch it three yards past the line of scrimmage and, and take it for an 80 yard house call um and they just were locked in on these guys. If they got a catch, the defensive back was right there to tackle him. It was fantastic game plan by Villanova, and JMU lost the game. Like Villanova won it, JMU lost it. Villanova perfectly played it, both on offense and defense.
1: Yeah, we had talked, or at least I had tweeted, I guess, before the game uh, that JMU had outscored Villanova fifty-two to eight in the fourth quarter of the previous four matchups. And they didn't score in this fourth quarter. Neither team did. score in the third quarter either, if I'm not mistaken. JMU got shut out in the second half. Like you're not <laughs> gonna beat most teams that are ranked if you can't score an entire half. So the fact that they came close and probably should have won, we can get into the Racky kisses or kisses the, <laughs> <laughs> the Racky kicks. Um, and then also some of the <laughs> clock management at the first half. And and we won't dive into Ethan's, you know. Personal history and his kisses or anything like that. We'll, we'll focus on the kicks here, folks. Well, We're a very professional podcast. <laughs> you can call us that.
0: Let's start with the clock management at the end of the first half. Let's kind of do it chronologically. Um, sure. A lot of people want to put this blame on Signetti solely. I'm, I guess, I guess what you can call me now. I will take the, I will take the label. I'm a Signetti apologist. Um, I think he's a great coach. I think he's an elite-level FCS coach. I think he's learned from a lot of his mistakes. He went for it, I believe, three or four times on fourth down in this game in big moments that kept them in the game um, early on in the first and second quarter. And then there was some weird stuff that happened before the second half, but they still got the field goal, and you put up 27 points. You were up 11 at half, and your defense just couldn't stop a nosebleed there in the third quarter and let Villanova take the lead. But the clock management, you give me your take on it, and then we can talk.
1: It it doesn't seem great. This is a a part where they started this game, and then I was going to UVA Louisville, so I watched bits and pieces in and out. So I kind of saw what happened here but didn't get a a great look. But here's the thing, and and I'll shift it to you a little bit too, but they call a timeout, if I'm correctly interpreting um, the exact specifics on the play-by-play here. They call a timeout with two fourteen in the second quarter. They're at the Villanova 24. They yep. run four plays, <laughs> and then the next timeout is 16 seconds. They ran four plays in two minutes. Well, here
0: with during that, like you're that that is how the play-by-play goes. I will say when it was second and six when they called the timeout was 16 seconds. Cole Johnson was at like ready to take the snap with like 30 seconds, and then so the they? kept run I don't know it if I I don't fully remember it but I want to say he was like looking to the sideline looking for like an audible looking for a change of play. something weird happened and then the play clock got down to like three or two and that's when they called the timeout it was just kind of weird that he was lined up and just waiting for so long could that have been Signetti saying bleed the clock bleed the clock it could have been but I also think there was some miscommunication there more so than it was just Signetti poor management I think it was just poor overall just
1: like Awareness by everyone. I think the idea, I guess, it, it maybe they were giving off the vibe of like they score on, you know, with not much time left, right? So that's the last drive of the half is kind of the, the focus there, I suppose. But I mean, like they after the timeout at two fourteen, they end up getting the fourth and one. So right, they go for it on fourth down and end up getting it, I guess, to, to keep a drive alive. Which just to <laughs> these credit. That's what I'm like, in that, and he had a couple of those, or like in the first half where. It's fourth and
0: two, three in field goal range or in, like, long field goal range. There was another one, I think, in the first quarter where they went for it and got it, and that's awesome. Like, I, I'm so happy to see Signetti doing that because analytics say that's something you should go for, but vast
1: him kicks it. I think that's, that's solid, but then when you run it twice with Palmer and then you end up only having 16 seconds, that's kind of a tough one to, to look at there. I think they obviously should have had more shots at the end zone than they had. It looked like they had, what, six seconds left and they opted to kick there too, where maybe if you're at the four yard line with six seconds, you take one more shot? I was thinking, that was the, mis- I think, along with taking, like, the
0: weird 15 second runoff that you have when your team is set at the line and you just let the clock run, that was the other weird thing. Six seconds, you think when you're on the four, a play is gonna take about four to five seconds If if something's there. Where if Cole Johnson, you tell him in the huddle, hey, if there's nothing there, immediately throw it away. Get it out of the back of the end zone.
1: I think one of my things, and maybe goes to this a little bit, is sometimes they seem really content to just like either you break a run or rat key kicks. And it felt that way at the end of the game. Like when they got close, it felt like they were like, you know what, we got an automatic kicker. He's going to knock this through and take a two-point lead when on those drives they probably could have pressed a lot harder with with some stuff and scored a touchdown i totally get the logic right the guy actually is automatic and then he sprays a couple of kicks <laughs> late it's, it's definitely a shock to the system but it's maybe a good learning experience where like hey the kicker's really good but at the same time any kicker any college kicker and that kind of pressure maybe not even college if you watch packers Bengals,
0: i was gonna say i think any kicker in general but, Any
1: kicker, when you add a bunch of pressure, like game-winning kind of kick, and has shown that he's he's pretty clutch before, but I think you'd just rather try to score a touchdown.
0: Yeah, it did seem like the last two drives, it was kind of weird even the one before the second miss when there's still, I think, six – let me look at the play-by-play. I think there's like six-plus minutes left on the clock when he misses. And to me, that's one you kind of – you take and – yeah, it was
1: like nine minutes left. On yeah, nine
0: team. minutes. So to me, that's one where you wanna you wanna press hard. It's third and eight. It was a weird play call. They they throw it to cheat them. I don't fully agree with that, but we can also get into tight end usage and the use, need of a spark and, and things of that sort. But to me, it was just interesting play calling with nine minutes left. You're playing for the field goal when you're off when your defense allowed scores on three straight possessions.
1: Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting where they mixed in. Like, so, for example, the the second and 11 play um, on the first field goal, which is a 27-yard attempt, it was second and 11 from the Villanova 13. They ran it for three yards, put yourself in third and eight from the 10, which is really a tough position because the field is so cramped at the goal line. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. easy for a team, especially if the team's running out five DBs. Like, pretty easy to to, to crowd that one up and clog it up. And then the next one, they got a first and 10. They run a little pass to Palmer that doesn't get any yards. And again, second and 10, they run it for three yards. I think those second down calls were a little bit costly at the same time. Like, I don't think either of us are throwing all of the blame on Ethan Racky, but like, if you put yourself in a position where you have two kicks from 35 yards or, or less, you know, to, to win a game, a conference game, a hard fought game. It's, it's really hard to fault Signetti for that. Like his kicker is amazing. And he has two kicks from under 35 yards to win. Like most weeks, JME wins that game.
0: Yeah. I'm, that's why I really struggle blaming Signetti. Even still, like, even with the poor clock management at the end of the half, I know they left four points on the board, but you were up 11, and you're supposed to have one of the best defenses in the FCS, and then they just let them march down the field three times in a row to take the lead, and then you're still in a position to win. And, like, yeah, I'm not putting blame on Raki. He did miss the kicks, but at the end of the day, that happened. And, but you can't blame Signetti either for the missed kicks. Like, you can't be like, Ethan missed, that's on Signetti. No, Signetti was playing probably probability. And I can't fault him for that. It's also, I also just want to take a quick shout-out to Forrest Ryan, the linebacker for Villanova. Awesome. He's the big reason that Jamie's rushing attack never got going. 20 total tackles. And then Townsell, I don't want to pronounce, try and pronounce his first name. Townsell and Mike Ruin – Rowan – R-U-A-N-E, I apologize, I'm not the pronunciation guy in front of me. They both combined for 22 tackles. So, like, that's a big reason JMU's defense was kind of shut down all game. But I can't put blame on I, – I, to me, this is a blameless loss. Villanova was the better team. They outclassed JMU. They punched him in the mouth. They had the better game plan. I'm not saying that JMU's the worst team. Villanova was the better team
1: on Saturday you can look up any sort of like gif about, you know, someone frantically looking for something. And that's kind of what it feels like when JMU fans have the team lose, like, who do we blame? And they almost never look at like, Villanova pretty good. And I think that's kind of what this game was. It's like Villanova is pretty good. The FCS, like the top 10 this year is really good. Like those teams are are group of five caliber teams. Like they would go out in the American and beat a bunch of teams. They would win a bunch of games in the Sun Belt conference. You would say, like, it's a, the top 10 is could be its own group of five league that would be really darn good, and it's going to be hard to win a national championship. Villanova's good, and JMU got beat by a good team. That doesn't mean there weren't mistakes, Yeah. but yeah. when's the last time play JMU played a mistake-free football? Like, that's not what college football is. It's all about they mistakes. They did play a mistake-free
0: football game in terms of turnovers. They didn't turn the ball over. They won the turnover battle because JMU got the strip sack early on in the second quarter. So, like... Villanova was the better team. Villanova had a mistake. JMU capitalized it with a touchdown, so seven points off of turnovers. And they had two like, – it's just so hard for me to put blame. Like Coming, coming into this game, we, we both said it on this podcast, Villanova is a good team this season, but just wait for the wheels to fall off. Just wait for the wheels to fall off. Because it always felt like they started with a cupcake schedule and then their wheels fell off when they played JMU and got into CAA play. I'll say it, and, and probably our listeners are, are tired of hearing this because I touted Delaware all of last spring season as a dark horse national title contender. I think Villanova is that team. I think Villanova is a dark horse national title contender. They look darn good. They have a top quarterback. They have a top running back, and they have a good defense. in Forrest Ryan, they have a good linebacker, and they have good defensive backs.
1: Yeah, it's a really good football team. And <laughs> I guess just one final point for me on the Signetti stuff. They're twenty five and four under him, and every loss has been by a possession. Like, and three of those losses were to either an FBS team or the eventual national champion. Yes. Yeah, so, first of all, um, congratulations to Villanova. Villanova, you're you're the national champs now. That's kind of how this goes. So good for them. Good for the Wildcats. <laughs> big time for them. Uh, moving on.
0: I I don't know where we want to go. I'll let you t- I'll let you take the reins. Where do you want to go next? Does this take a put a halt to FBS talks, do you want to dive into that next, or do you want to dive into the offense eating a spark and the use of tight ends?
1: This is all really good. Let's, let's start with the tight ends, actually. I think that would be interesting. Okay, perfect. So I saw there was definitely some stuff about people – well, people typically watch a game, and they see the offense struggle, and they're like, oh, they need a, some sort of spark. And I, I text you jokingly. I'm like, gosh, why don't they just get chunk plays?
0: Why don't they just throw it to the open man and score touchdowns?
1: Villanova did a really good job. It sounds like they broke some tendency based on what Signetti said, but they're playing like the 3-3-5 stack kind of thing. It's a lot of DBs. You mentioned the linebackers are just filthy. Yeah, like really good linebackers. They got the secondary that's good. I thought the defensive line obviously did some nice things to be able to prevent some rushing too. So I don't – like offensive spark. some of it's good defense, but what's your thought when people are like, oh, they need a spark? Or kind of saying that like why are the tight ends not heavily used within the offense?
0: So the Titans never have been, like, heavily used in this offense. They're always kind of, like, sprinkled in. Cheatham never has five catches. Noah Turner never has six catches in a game. They normally have one or two for a couple yards, and they get a touchdown catch or something. They're not heavily used. And also I heard a lot where JMU fans were like, the middle of the field is wide open. Why weren't they throwing it there? Um, to me, kind of how I interpreted the game as I was watching, they are playing a lot of man coverage, and so they go where the receivers go. And so there just wasn't a lot of guys in the middle because they weren't trying to bring Thornton over the middle on an in route or Antoine Wells or Gracie even. They're trying to kind of push them down the field. But the problem with that is then you have to leave your tight ends to block because Villanova was getting great pressure on Cole Johnson, especially in that third quarter. So you have to leave your tight ends to block, get some extra men in to try and slow down that rush. And so then therefore you don't have the tight ends leaking out into the middle of the field, into the flats. So it was just – it was just a perfect defensive game plan for Villanova, and that's why you didn't see much happening in the middle of the field. But there were some catches there um, overall. But what you said about a spark, I mean, they do have a spark. They have Chris Thorne, Antoine Wells. They have Percy. They have Latrell. Like, they do. We just didn't see them because Villanova's defense played so great that they extinguished any spark that was, that was there. That's the definition of a good defense
1: they were villanova was awesome like like that's that's kind of our main takeaways like they played really well and yeah i agree with you like they were from the bits and pieces that i saw they were blitzing like crazy like they were sending a bunch of guys and yeah you gotta you gotta protect cole like he's like crush. crush. stevens no offense to him he's not liam
0: so like you have to help him like so you're probably gonna leave noah turner in to kind of chip him a bit and then the running backs too, I mean, they weren't, I don't think they were used much in the pass protection, which could have been a problem. I, I'll i have to watch the, t- watch the tape and, and see that. But, but to me, the tight ends needed to be used in pass protection more than they needed to be in pass catching. And that's the right call. Villanova was just the better team because when you have five defensive backs, Chris Thornton and Antoine Wells can't break through. And Scott Bracy only had one catch for nine yards. Scott Bracy, I don't want to rag on him, but like, He's not what we thought he was going to be.
1: Yeah, I think you probably would want a little more out of him alongside those those two top guys, and we'll see if he can kind of have more productive showings. And even some of the other th- number three guys, I don't know how much run they necessarily got in this one, but, like, was it against New Hampshire? Or was it a – maybe it was a previous game, but they got a lot out of um, – was it Curry and, and Reggie yeah. Brown both made plays? Like, they got other guys involved. In this one, it really felt like it was just those two – getting open so I think maybe a third guy continuing to step up will be a big deal the running game's got to get more but like Villanova played really well and if Ethan Ratke makes one of the field goals which <laughs> most games he would the the conversation would not be about like horrendous play calling or issues with the offense it'd be like we just want a hard fought battle and we'll be better come playoff time but they <laughs> have to miss a kick I think, that, I think that's what bothers me, is that we're ragging
0: on Signetti. We're ragging on all of this stuff. When at the end of the day, JMU was in position to win. If you play this game 100 more times, they're going to win it 100 more times. And so the conversation shouldn't be that. It's that Villanova was a damn good football team. That, that game planned perfectly for JMU. That shut down Cole's explosive arm, where he's been averaging some of the best yardage in the CAA all season. And Daniel Smith looked like the better quarterback in this game. And Justin Covington ran all over the Duke's defense, averaging 6.6 yards per game. I don't think there was a sack for JMU's defense either. As I say that, there was one and a half sacks. Two sacks, excuse me, two sacks. So, I mean, but that's – the defensive line needs to be better. This game just showed that JMU can be a great football team. We saw that against Weber. Now, Weber might not be a playoff team because they're – quarterback got injured and and all of that so they might not even be a playoff team new hampshire probably isn't a playoff team so the one game they played against a playoff team they lost which isn't looking good for JMU. (laughs) um but like the offense looked really good it's in the new hampshire game too i mean the defense even looked good just the new hampshire game was wonky as all get out but to me this JMU team can be great can they overcome when teams have a perfect game plan against them? And so far, they're zero one when that happens.
1: Twenty eighteen felt like JMU would just take like mul- multiple pistols and just fire them repeatedly into their feet, like they shot themselves in the feet. And the- <laughs> that like so that many- analogy, it's that wow, that was great. They did it so many times where this year they obviously made a bunch of new ha- mistakes at New Hampshire. Like this game just felt like a good football game. And the twenty sixteen team that win won the national title played a lot of really good football games and just found ways to win. It's so, like this absolutely doesn't take JMU out of national championship contention. I don't think they're the favorite because I think there are a lot of really good teams that are gonna have more home field advantage. But in hindsight, this game's probably gonna be pretty important for JMU developing. They really needed a test. I think it's a good test of a game where like they played okay and still lost like that's a great test and I thought Richmond and Delaware would be good tests they're not going to be nearly as good assuming those starting quarterbacks don't play it looks like Richmond's already without Mancuso from what I think we were seeing from tweets so Henderson um we'll see what Rocco says but then after that it's Elon Campbell William Mary Towson three of those four at home I don't envision those being competitive so you're looking probably at, at six wins in a row to end the season that probably gets them a top eight seed i don't know where in there it depends on a lot of different factors with how other teams finish but you're maybe looking at six wins in a row where they don't get tested like it could be six double digit wins so i do think this game there's value there of like all right it exposes some weaknesses shows the team they need to get better the coaching staff can try to improve like there's there are some benefits from dropping a random october game
0: you know, it is crazy, though. I know the defense didn't really allow 21 points against New Hampshire, but just looking at the schedule, they haven't allowed less than 21 points against an actual team this season. Maine's not real and Moorhead's not real. Like Weber, they allowed 24. New Hampshire, they allowed 21. Villanova, they allowed 28. Just interesting that this defense that's billed is like this really good, fearsome defense. The defensive line hasn't been great, and the secondary is
1: allowing a lot of points. Um, I'll give them a a slight Weber pass because they scored 14, what I would call garbage time.
0: That's bad. And then then you also can look at New Hampshire, technically
1: 14 of those points were. I just don't think, I don't think any team, and like kind of going off your point, I don't think any team is like dominant this year i think the top eight are all really good but like you can get beat like i don't think jamie's defense is so good that it can't get scored like
0: like we were talking about south dakota state about how good they were and then they lose to southern illinois and like, like a point though it was an yeah.
1: incredible game between yeah. two and i'm yeah. a southern i'm a huge southern illinois yeah, I know, i've I know. been weirdly <laughs> hyping them up so when they won i was so i was pretty stoked for them but even, even though,
0: eastern washington like we were hyping montana up as like this Juggernaut because they beat an FBS team and then Eastern Washington beat them. Sam Houston, I haven't really been following
1: that closely with what they been. Sam Houston gets to eat. I think they just eat 11 cupcakes and then get into the playoffs is what it, it looks like from there.
0: But then North Dakota State have been on the verge of losing, I think, the back to back weeks. Um, so I mean, it's just it's just, yeah, everyone is beatable. And what I was getting at here is Weber State, New Hampshire, Villanova, Richmond, Delaware. We called this stretch the gauntlet to start the season. And we also, we have different takes on this. We all said that if they could escape this gauntlet with one loss, they, that is, that's a win. Um, and for, for all intents and purposes, they look like they're going to escape this with one loss because Mancuso won't probably be playing and Henderson might be a shell of himself if he does play. So they they're coming out, they've beat a ranked Weber team. They have beat a UNH team, ranked UNH team, lost to Villanova. And then they could very well beat
1: Richmond and Delaware and, I don't know. I'm I'm
0: pretty happy if they come out of this with one loss still.
1: It's it's definitely not a bad stretch. I've soured on it a little bit just because like the I when I looked at it at the beginning of the year I was like that might be four or five playoff teams. I think it's probably two now maybe. So that makes it a little tougher for me to to get ass excited. But yeah, these are good teams. Four of the five games are on the road. And yeah, it's that's be kind the of big play, part. that's the, the big part. It's gonna be hilarious when they're four of the wins are the road wins, right? <laughs> They lose in a sold out game at Bridgeport Stadium, but uh, they've had some family weekend heartbreak before as, as we've sort of noticed and and witnessed. So that'll, it was a tough loss, but at the same time, it kind of drives me the idea that like, gosh, I love when they play close games. Like it's so much more fun when they play competitive teams, which has me excited for the playoffs because there's a chance they could be, you know, semi-finals at South Dakota State or something crazy. Like I think the playoffs are going to be a lot of fun to watch. 100 percent with that being said you enjoyed a regular season game so much
0: is this going to take some time for us to see a move to fbs then
1: (laughs) my favorite question of the week some people had tweeted this jokingly i think someone was saying they just really hoped jamie was undefeated and then they could also move up and be like a fun thing to go along totally agree with that but yeah there were actual people that were i think maybe a little bit like well if we can't beat villanova how are we gonna win the sunbelt villanova would beat some sunbelt teams like (laughs) the (laughs) sunbelt has really good teams at the top and I don't think anyone necessarily thinks Jamie would move in and, start win the some belt, and like win the sun Belt or beat App State right away or beat Coastal Carolina in the first game It would take some time and you got to get the scholarships up and, and start getting used to that with the recruiting cycle but um, I don't think it changes anything I think hopefully Jamie still has some sort of opportunity at some point there's a bunch of random rumors still swirling but I am excited that this season is going to be more of a, a battle it seems like now Um, that you mentioned the next stretch. And I was interested in your take. Do you think they're going to be like – I saw a lot of people saying they were going to be amped up after this loss, super motivated against Richmond. Do you think it dramatically changes it, or do you think they're just playing a bad Richmond team and it'll seem like they're more motivated?
0: So, like, I get where fans are coming from, but, like, I struggle saying that. Like, you're coming off a a tough loss, and you're going to just want to go out there and and just be amped up and, and prove the country wrong the coaching staff should have them feeling that way. Like every game, like that's kind of bad coaching. If that's what it comes down to, you know, like you have to come off a loss to be hyped up for a win. No, you should just be hyped up for a game. Like, I it's think it's a rivalry, rivalry game, a rivalry. <laughs> a rivalry. No, it's a huge rivalry. That's no, I, no, I know. I know it's a, it's a big FCS rivalry, but like they have it. It's like saying, um, bears Packers is a rivalry. like, Bears haven't won. Um, where was I going with that? I think they will be hyped up. And, I mean, you saw, like, um, Clayton Sheatham tweeting and, and stuff like that. They're like, on to the next. We got this. We come together. Eyes ahead. Like, the typical football guy stuff to say after a loss. They should go out there and win by three touchdowns.
1: I think they're going to look really good. And people will be like, I knew they'd be fired up. When, in reality, the opposing team is significantly worse. Especially with Mancuso out, it's way worse than, than what it was. Villanova already beat them uh, with that big comeback that we've talked about a few times. So I don't know how much of a big deal the motivation will really be. They also didn't play well at New Hampshire, and they were coming home. Like, I thought they were going to be amped up for this one. They had a good first half, and then faded. I don't think – like, I don't think it's a motivational thing. I think it's how they play. Like, hopefully they play well.
0: I think it's you come – you're coming into this game, and you're like, look, guys, we've started these games so strong this season. And then Weber State scored 14 points in garbage time to make it look closer than it was. New Hampshire did very well in the second half, and we damn near lost that game. And Villanova scored 12 unanswered in the third quarter and then held us scoreless for the whole second half, and they beat us by a point. How about we go out there and play four full quarters? Like, I don't think they're looking at this as, like, we're amped. We want to prove the country wrong and beat everyone who – we, we want to beat up on Richmond because we're coming off a loss. I think they're looking at themselves, and they're like – we have not been a four-quarter team. Let's put together four quarters right here, right now, against whoever it is, and go play a game. Like Villanova, might like as fans, that's in our head. But I think as a team, you're looking at your whole, your whole structure.
1: Especially even with the uh, the Sam Houston game kind of lingering in the memory, right? That was a game that the second half was yeah. a debacle, uh, especially late in that game. So one time, they've got, <laughs> they've got a lot of uh, stuff to improve here in the last last half a game. So. I'm excited for the rest of the season, though. This this almost, like, renewed my excitement for the season. I know that's weird, but, like, <laughs> when they lost, and I was like, oh, that stinks. And then I was like, it could be a lot more fun now. <laughs> what do you do on October 16th? October 16th, I will be covering UVA Duke. Well, you should just cancel that. and We, um, should, go to the, we should go to the
0: Delaware game. I won't be here. Well, actually, I'll be having to work. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this off air. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um we had a bad CAA pick on this past week. I want to let you know that. That's
1: disappointing. I won my bet. You guys have to do that. Should we No, I can't we can't say what it is cuz I want it to be a genuine in case any Rhode Island um, athletic com people listen. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they don't. Should I should I say what our bet is? I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I it was a while back and I was talking down Delaware and I got not that's a weird way to word that. But I, I guess I was fortunate within my bet that Henderson got hurt because it made Delaware a significantly different team than when we actually made the bet. And you guys have stayed true to it, um, stuck with it. So there's that. But the bet was basically that Rhode Island would beat Delaware.
0: I'm mad because I've been a Rhode Island stand for the past two seasons.
1: I, I can't believe I got you on the other side.
0: And I, do, I need to go back into these texts because I remember just like hopping into it very late in like this, when it was all hashing out. So I just want to see, but yeah, continue explaining. I just, I'm just upset that I'm on the wrong side of a Rhode Island bet.
1: Yes. So I said Rhode Island would be Delaware and I was with Jack and our friend Dom. And if Delaware won, they were allowed to send one tweet from my Twitter account, (laughs) Um, I guess within reason (laughs) in terms of appropriateness. Um, But if they, if Delaware lost the game, Rhode Island won, I wanted them to send a heartfelt email to the Rhode Island SID asking them to pass it along to the team about how they've been so inspired by what this team has done. I kind of think you guys should take on like a fake Rhode Island alum personality here where it's like, I've watched this team for 30 years <laughs> in the way because they're 5-0 and oh now. It would be perfect. The way they've started to inspire me to my core – so it's going, to be, it's going to have to be multiple paragraphs. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I don't think you'll get a response. Maybe you will. but <laughs> I don't think so either. But yeah. It'll... You'll probably make the, their athletic people laugh.
0: That, that's the goal of it. You just, you just try to bring smiles to everyone that you, you come across. Now, looking at the <laughs> CAA pick on <them.
1: laughs> That was a really big picture for you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you just try to make everyone you interact with smile. Gosh, that's better than me um looking at last week
0: the caa is a topsy-turvy crazy place elon beat maine by 10 rhode (laughs) island beat delaware by seven villanova beat jmu by one if we're going through it all the dogs have won like i would i would assume rhode island was a dog i would assume elon i
1: think rhode island might have been a weird line they might have been Can you look can you look at past fcs lines i think sam tweeted it so i'll dig through his tweets or I could just search it or something.
0: Yeah. But then William and Mary beat Albany by seven, which that's not the dog, I would assume. Well, the Great Danes, Albany is the dog. <laughs> um, And then Towson beat Stony Brook. I'm pretty certain we went like three and three
1: on that, which Very would be good. crazy because there's only five games. Rhode Island was a two and a half point home favorite. Okay. So, but still – we struggled a lot. Did we I think we got Towson wrong, right? Or I got it wrong.
0: I'm pretty sure I went with Towson too. Yeah, I, think I, go, only I got was... I got
1: Stony Brook. So I went I went two in what how many games? Two and three. That's horrible.
0: I think I didn't do much better. I need to relisten. I've with everything moving, with my life moving and in in flux, I don't know where I've put all my papers.
1: I like to think I picked Maine. Why would you want to pick Maine? Oh, that's why I got it wrong. I did pick Maine. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I would I like understand to think now. You would pick Maine too.
0: I think I pick. <laughs> I think I picked Maine, Delaware, JMU, William and Mary, Towson.
1: You might have made some ground up then. Uh, we'll uh, I don't know.
0: Okay, so this week we got William and Mary. They traveled to Maine.
1: Who do you got? Well, now I'm all concerned because well, William and Mary was also getting boat raced against Albany at home. Yeah, they won somehow. Twenty one to three at halftime and they win thirty-one to twenty-four. Um just absolutely, absolutely wild. Um also is the undercuffler hurt and he didn't play. Maybe he got benched. Or maybe he's got COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's out. Sorry, that you we know, shouldn't I, laugh at that. That's rude. Jeez. That's true. We hope that he does not have COVID.
0: He's a very anti faxer person, like very outspoken about it. So.
1: Yeah, they've had a tough year. Um, I'll take William and Mary. That probably just, got too political for this podcast. <laughs> we've lost all our listeners. Um, but no, hopefully we're not rooting against anyone to be ill. Um, but hopefully, I think William and Mary's going to win just because I feel like they have a pulse as a team, and I feel like Maine's like just down and out. I agree.
0: I pick William and Mary too because I'm still on that bandwagon. I don't know why,
1: but I, I still am. Dartmouth, New Hampshire. Oh. Sneaky good game. I think Dartmouth is not bad. Um, New Hampshire had a bye week. It's hard to win in New Hampshire. I think they'll they'll just like take advantage of some mistakes and and win. I'm still I still kind of think New Hampshire might sneak into the playoffs. So I'll say New Hampshire wins. I think they can too if they if they have a good finish to their season. Um, JMU Richmond. Uh, it's a big bounce back for JMU. Also. I also pick UNH. I don't know if I I, I mentioned that
0: JMU Richmond.
1: Um, bounce back. Richmond had a bye, so they could try to do something, but they're not very good. So um, 42 to 17. 42 to 17. Good. That's way too high on both sides, maybe. Well, definitely on Richmond, not scoring 17, but I'll um, I'm going 38 21. 21 for Richmond in the freshman quarterback.
0: Yep, Bo English. I have faith in the uh, English channel.
1: Uh, Delaware at Stony Brook. Oh, Nix's brother. Um, No, it's – what? No, it's not. (laughs) Stony Brook's really bad. Like, Stony
0: Brook's really bad. You know what I want to see? Stony Brook, Maine. That game probably already happened once this (laughs) season. (laughs) Uh,
1: I'm not seeing it on there. I'm not seeing it. I'll take – what is this? Who is this? Delaware playing them? I think Delaware is going to win in a very disgusting game. I'll say, like, 16 to 13.
0: I agree, mainly because Stony Brook will muck it up and Delaware will muck it up. And that's going
1: to be just so much. Well, actually,
0: Delaware's coming off the loss to Rhode Island. This is at Stony Brook.
1: Yeah, Stony Brook. You know what I'm going to say? Thanks. You're going to take Stony Brook. <laughs> they actually they might. They could win it because no, neither team's going to be able to score.
0: I'm going to go Stony Brook because it's at home. They took Rhode Island to
1: OT. I'm going Stony Brook. Wow. Villanova at Albany. This is actually a pretty good letdown spot for Villanova. So are you um, picking the Great Danes? I'm considering. Are you actually? Yeah, it's a big time letdown spot. I just think Albany Albany feels like all year for them has been a letdown year. Like they, <laughs> they really are not good. So I'll say that Villanova wins, although I would not be surprised if this one's like sneaky close because Villanova is just like riding the high of beating JMU.
0: I think Mark Ferrente will have them locked in and ready to go. And I think they win by like 21 Um, Rhode Island at Towson can Rhode Island move to six and Oh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb. I've not researched this for the first time in program history.
1: Towson is one of the scrappiest bunches in the conference. Like these guys will scrap with you. They will. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely scrap. I know where he, I know who you're picking. I know where you're going with this. I can't it's... name a single Towson player. I just know they're scrappers. Um, Rhode Island struggled against not really, but they they kind of battle every week and like just pick up wins. Like it's weird how close yeah, they, they are they... to losing. But I'm gonna stick with Rhode Island. I think Rhode Island remains undefeated for another week before getting the doors blown off by Villanova the following week. I got Rhode Island, too. I'm I'm really big on them. Their quarterback's one of the best players in college football.
0: Casey Hill. He's also one of the
1: best backups in the NFL. Yeah, he must be gassed on Sundays. <laughs> That's why he backs up Jameis. What a win for them over Delaware. Just gritty stuff. Well, anything else you want to add? I don't think
0: there's, there's really much. Veldman was CAA co-offensive player of the week in volleyball. Okay. Um, field hockey fell to number seven Maryland, three zero. Men's soccer is pretty good. JMU beat William and Mary in men's soccer.
1: They're ten and two. They're they're
0: rolling. Yes, they are. You can call them butter because they're on a roll.
1: You can call them butter because they're.
0: <laughs> no, don't repeat my joke. Whatever. For Bennett Conlin, my <laughs> name's Jack Patrick. Up. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day.